Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. Happy Hanukkah. Hey, happy Hanukkah to you too. Put on your yarmulke. <laughs> Hanukkah. Yes. Happy Compliments Hanukkah of Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. And it is Christmas Eve's Eve. It's Christmas Adam. Yes. Don't even. Indeed. Don't. Christmas Adam. Yeah. Tonight we are going to talk Adam about Adam Sandler, Christmas Adam, Hanukkah song. Look at the connections. Look wow. at that. The people who are listening think I we're crazy. Know what's his name is. We've lost all credibility at this point. Um, tonight, we are talking about the spirits of Hanukkah. The spirit of Hanukkah past, present, and future. I've read a story like You got this. that reference? He just explained that yeah. other story to our daughter today. So, it's yeah, a Hanukkah like carol. Tonight. It's a who? A Hanukkah carol. No, oh, a Christmas Hanukkah carol. It's a Hanukkah carol. Where's my guitar? With an H or a my guitar's right there. Uh, if you want to pronounce it with a CH, you got to at least be consistent. You know, Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Oh, boy. You got to really, if you're going to just that? pronounce it like a Gentile, it's Hanukkah H, you know, but if the CH, you got to really go for it. Okay, Christy? Chanukah? No. <laughs> Chanukah. So how do you say my name? Uh, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, we are going to start in Daniel 11 Good. and talk about the biblical origins of Hanukkah, because even though technically the history that the holiday is based on is not recorded in the conventional sense in the Bible, it's history written from a prophetic perspective. So, it's in there. It's just written before it actually happened, which makes it all the more interesting. So before we actually go through Daniel 11 and we talk about Daniel's prophecy regarding the first Hanukkah, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of uh, this controversy surrounding Christ's birth is what I'm trying to say. So there's lots of debates about the date. And if you get online and I've been studying and reading books and people get really bent out of shape about this and I don't understand it at all. But there are different perspectives that people come from. You have some people who are high church, and it's December 25th. It's always been December 25th, and it always will be December 25th. And then you have these people over here who, whether they're Messianic or they're Hebrew roots, it's no, December 25th has been disproven. It's been debunked. Jesus wasn't born then. Couldn't have been born then. It's a done deal. Maybe he was born during tabernacles and some would be even more dogmatic and say he was definitely born during tabernacles. And then you'll have some people say, no, he couldn't have been born during tabernacles. He was born during Rosh Hashanah. And so you have all these different debates. What I'm going to share with you real quick, and I don't want to get bogged down in it because in my opinion, it's not super important, but I do want to share a little bit of the information, which I found interesting. So whenever you're trying to pinpoint Christmas, you have to go with two facts. First, Zechariah was in the temple, and he was in the temple at a certain time of year because his order went up to the temple a certain time mm -hmm, of year, and right. that's the order of Abiah. So when was the order of Abiah there? Remarkably, what should be simple becomes really complicated when you really start to research this subject. Uh, since he was the eighth in line, his order was... Starting in the month of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar, we can reckon about when he was there. But the problem is each order, there are 24 orders of priests divided in the time of David. They serve two weeks total out of the year. Now, the big question is, did they serve those weeks consecutively or did they serve those weeks at 
different times a year. So serve mm. one week and then come up later in the year and serve another. Well, some people going with the first view will make an argument for tabernacles. And if they are served consecutively, you have a really strong case that Jesus was born during the festival of tabernacles. However, there's lots of evidence extra biblically outside the Bible that they did not serve their, um, their, their time at the temple consecutively that huh. they did it two different times a year. So that brings us to two different dates, depending on where you start. So if you start with the first term of service, the first week, it's going to land you on a late September, early October date for Christ's birth. That's tabernacles. However, if you take his second term of service and you start from there, it has Jesus being born in spring around the time of Passover. Hmm. And so that's interesting mm -hmm. because, lamb and you know, it's yeah. significant uh, yeah, that he's a Passover lamb. That's right. Um, but again, tabernacles is significant too, because Mixed as John one fourteen says, yeah. he tabernacled among us. Yes. Mm -hmm. So both are significant. You can't use theology or typology to seal the deal because, you know, depending on which one you choose, it's still going to be significant, whether it's Passover or tabernacles. And then you have a Messianic Jewish voice from the 19th century, Alfred Edersheim. Heard of him. And he was pretty significant because he was a very educated Jew who became mm. a Christian, which kind was like very Paul. significant. Yes, very much like, Jew, yeah, uh, very like a, a Talmudic scholar. Jew. This guy knew his stuff. And I mean, in his book, I was reading, Sorry, <laughs> I was reading his book and uh, he argues he doesn't really extensively argue for it because in his opinion, it's not a big deal, but right. um, he says that there's a good reason to believe that Jesus was born in late December. Huh. And so he uses Josephus. Josephus mentions that uh, during 70 AD, um, whenever the temple was destroyed, it tells us what order was serving at that time. Okay. So backtracking from that order, from that year to the, the year that Christ was born, Edersheim argues that late December would be the natural date for Christ's birth. Now, why is this timing so important as far as Zachariah is concerned? Because right after his order finishes its service, which would be a week, his wife gets pregnant. She's six months pregnant and Mary shows up. Mm -hmm. Mary has conceived Jesus at that point. So as long as there's not huge gaps in her understanding there that Elizabeth conceived relatively quickly after Zach Ryan Elizabeth went home. And uh, based on that, it seems like you can use his time in the temple as a good starting point to discover the birth date of Christ, or at least the birth month more generally. Uh, but Edersheim argues that if you use Josephus information and you count back the order of Abaya uh, would have been, what, what did he say? Um, I don't want to miscite the exact Hebrew month that, he was serving in the temple. So I'm not going to try. I don't have that in my notes right here, but um, long story short, Adesham argues that the December date's a reasonable one. Now, as far as the counter arguments, some would people would say that at that time of year, the sheep are not going to be watched out in the field because it's so cold. Adesham also anticipates that in his writings and says, and says, no, that's not true. Uh, there were some that were kept year round, but today, normal shepherds with normal flocks will be out in the field during this time of year. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, that I discovered is that winter rains. Okay. So the winter rains 
Yes. They will cause grass. grass to sprout on barren hills. Like so, yes. so yeah, climate. absolutely. So it's a good place for them to be out in the field during winter time. So yeah, it's cold, but also understand they're in the Middle East. And so as I looked up the temperature, it's around 50 degrees at night. So it's not terribly cold. It's not unbearably cold. Um, so the idea that it would have been too cold for them to be in the fields is just a myth. It's debunked. Yep. So they could have been. We're not talking Georgia today. No, oh, we're not talking Georgia today. Georgia day. is really cold Bring today. It's like nine degrees right now. Yeah. So yes, it wasn't like that. And Eidersheim also mentions that from a very early period, the church fathers chose December 25th. And this isn't like something that happened later. Like it seems that from the third century, that's early as far as church fathers are concerned. Uh, Hippolytus argues that December 25th was the birthday of Christ. So, so when did the Saturnalia coming conglomeration happen? Saturnalia was around, um, I'm sure it predates the time of Christ's birth. So it's a Roman holiday. Right. Uh, but this is interesting. We talked about Halloween when we were discussing these festivals before. And we talked about how it's reasonable to believe that the flood happened when they were worshiping their pagan gods on Halloween. Mm-hmm. So... Why did God choose that particular date? Because they were worshiping their false gods. So is it not possible? This is speculation, of course. But assuming that we have good historical reason to believe in a December 25th birthday, the Roman Empire is at this time worshiping their false gods. And they're praising their false gods because they believe that the sun is about to be reborn. So we're getting past the darkest day of the year. The sun is starting to return, the sun, uh, the sun God warming the earth. Uh, so it's very agricultural, but it would make sense to me that during this time when they're worshiping their pagan gods at this dark time of the year, that God would send his son who is called in Luke chapter one, as we read the son of righteousness, S U N son of righteousness. So to me, I can't deny uh, the significance of that, in my opinion, if God in the past during the time of the flood chose that time of year as a way of speaking against and um, reproving the false religious worship at the time, why couldn't he do the same when he comes into the world when he's born at the incarnation? And that would kind of make sense too, because when Jesus is born, he's not just born king of the Jews, he's born king of the world. And the pagans had all these expectations. So since Jesus is coming as the king of the world, um, his timing, yeah, absolutely. His timing interacting with their own worship, but in a different way, like obviously not in agreement with it, but acting against it, counteracting it. To me, that sounds very compelling um, that Jesus would be born at that time. But again, we don't know that for sure. At the very least, we can say this. And if you're listening to me, please don't be the people who say Christmas is a pagan day, that Saturnalia is where Christmas came from, and Christians need to stop celebrating Christmas because they're celebrating a pagan holiday. That's not true. So the early church, even if Jesus wasn't born December 25th, we can say that they were very confident that he was. So there's a lot of early church fathers to support this. It was the consensus in the early church from a very early time period. They probably had a good reason for doing that. And to automatically assume that they were pagan compromisers, it's not very charitable to say the least. Mm -hmm. But even if they chose that day and they didn't have a biblical reason for doing so, 
it still wouldn't mean that they were being carnal or sinful. At this time of year, everybody's celebrating. Okay, understand the Roman Empire, this time of year, everybody's eating, families coming over, gifts are being exchanged. They're eating fruitcake. Uh they're <laughs> no, they're still around. Uh they're they're eating fruitcake, baby, but they're have they're having uh an exciting time. And Christians who were pagan and they got saved. Uh, they would have associated this, I'm sure, with many good memories of, of time being around family and, and loved ones. And I'm sure they also felt very burdened by the fact that their neighbors were worshiping false gods, right? So wouldn't it not make sense for them to take this day and to, in, in a sense, redeem it? I don't really see anything wrong with that. As long as they're not compromising their faith, participating in idol worship, participating in immoral acts, then taking this day and saying, hey, we're celebrating this, but when we're talking to their neighbors, we're doing this because Jesus is the true God. He's the, mm-hmm. the true God in the flesh, the son of God, the son of righteousness. That's what we're doing this for. I think it would have been a really good apologetic to their culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any reason to object against the December day. I'm not convinced one way or the other, but I will say that as I studied this, I found it very interesting that a lot of people were saying that for certain, December 25th is not the day Jesus was born. But as I researched it, there was lots of evidence that was not being stated. Like people were just either unaware of it or they were conveniently leaving it out because there actually seems to be pretty good Bias evidence. Against it. Yeah, there seems to be pretty good evidence. Maybe December 25th is Jesus' birthday. And the reason the early church did that is because they had a good reason for doing so. Maybe that was something passed down. Uh, we won't go into any more evidence. There is some other evidence. But uh, for the sake of time, we'll move on. At one point, I mean, then if he was born pagan and not an idol, uh, and at one point you talked about maybe he was conceived. Yes, yes. Thanks for mentioning that. Because I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Tabernacles or the second. Yes, exactly. So that's something I wanted to talk about the second tabernacles. We're going to talk about Hanukkah. Obviously, that's what this lesson is mainly about. But um, if Jesus was born in tabernacles during that time, he would have been conceived during Hanukkah or around Hanukkah. So late December. Right. So if he was whether he was conceived in late December or he was born in late December, ultimately, the incarnation took place in December. Either way you look at it. So whether you're in favor of the tabernacles date or the traditional date. And honestly, those are really the two top contenders right there. As I've studied it, most people are either September birthday or December birthday. Scott wants you to call on him, teacher. Scott, you raised your hand. Yes, my student. (laughs) (laughs) I got my hand up. Anyways, there was a thing in Israel today I was reading and it talked about um, the star of Bethlehem, right? And they believe that they found the matching star from the Chinese. Um, if, if we're going to assume that for one, that it was a comet, right? Because something would come up, but, 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 Go ahead. but, but what about the star of Bethlehem documentary? They rebuked all like they, they rebutted all of that, that it wasn't a comet. Okay. But I'm just going to point out what this says. First of all, like I think, that they that's been a while. I'm not sure. Yeah, we've watched it in a while. Have to watch it again. Um, anyway, so they they they're saying that there were three comets around that time, uh, ten five actually four, ten five and four BC, and then there was another one in ten um, 
AD. That's too late. Right. And that's what they, they point out. That one was too late. But there was one in 4 BC. And that's the most reasonable date right, right there. Yeah, exactly right. So and they're saying that it lasted for 70 days. It's all documented in this Chinese um, document. It lasted for 70 days um, and it was in spring around March. So. Yeah. And so I, I've researched. Christy, you mentioned the Star of Bethlehem documentary. I've researched that Very and, and I've researched some counter hypotheses. Sure. Uh, some people think it's a supernova, uh, in the Chinese calendar, not mentioning the comet. I didn't yes. hear about that one. Um, but there was another reference in a Chinese calendar to a phenomenon that happened in the sky and they didn't call it a supernova. Obviously sure. they didn't, but they, they refer to something which is believed by some people to be a supernova. Sure. Um, and so some people think that it could have been that, um, That's ultimately, I think that we have to be careful in using these different, these different natural phenomena to Agreed. interpret the Bible because there's so many different views and theories and, well, and there's counter arguments for all of them. The like, house, so it had to be more than just a star at that point. So, well, and so if, if you were, you know, watching the star of Bethlehem, they would argue that astronomically from the perspective of someone in Jerusalem, this would have appeared south and it would have appeared in the direction of Bethlehem. So they tried to explain mm -hmm. the wise men saying what they did and Matthew that it appeared over Bethlehem, that it was directional, not like literally floating over. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but here's the thing you can make the text fit whatever you want to believe when it comes to this particular thing. Absolutely. It's a common, it's a supernova. It's a, con a constellation. Yes. It yes. is a, a conjunction. Yeah, yeah. It can be so many different things. So, I think that these people are all trying to make sense of the Bible. Yep. And they're doing this in many cases for apologetics purposes. Sure. But I don't think this is probably the place that I would do apologetics. Hmm. If that makes any sense. I, I would try to find something a little bit more concrete, like the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Um, because that's easier to what astronomy was your jam, but I mean, and you if you want to, I'm not, I'm not saying that, um, His there's jam. no, there's yeah. no benefits His from jam. studying it. I'm just saying that, um, from what I have read, I'm not convinced by any of them. I think that they all have a touch of reasonableness to them, but that's about it. So, and when that all comes down to it, it's not that important. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the birth of Christ, when, Jesus was born is not so, but I've, I've right. heard like honest, good objections sure. from either side, like star of Bethlehem documentary. I've read their articles. Okay. Mm -hmm. They got good stuff. It's very interesting. I've read an article from answers in Genesis that responds to them yeah. and disagrees. And I'm like, mm. well, they I'm got some, not surprised. Sorry. They, yeah. They, yeah, they got some, <laughs> well, yeah, me neither, but they had some good points. Okay. I was like, yeah. okay, that that's interesting. Okay. But, um, what I was trying to do this evening is just show that, if you celebrate Christmas, December 25th, you have a good reason to do so. Okay. Okay. You're in good company. Don't let anyone shame you. Okay. You don't need to be shamed. However, there's nothing in the Bible. Absolutely. Nothing in the Bible that tells us to celebrate Christmas at all. Correct. That's so that's something point. I want to point out. Like right. there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a wonderful thing. I love it. It's yes. one of my favorite times of year. Yeah. Um, it's all about Jesus for me and my family. Yes. But it's not commanded in the Bible. Correct. So therefore, stop shaming Christians for celebrating it. 
whether they do it in December or they do it in summer. Right. You people doing it in summer, Good. go right ahead. You know, that's fine. We're celebrating the same thing, right? Christmas there are some Christians who celebrate it in summer. We got some family members no that idea. do, you know? No idea. It's fine. But I think that the reason they do it in summer, if it was just like, oh, we personally do this in summer, that's fine. But They're it's not more... like putting up an evergreen tree and all that jazz, are they? No, I don't think yeah. so. No, they might think that that's pagan. Pagan, yeah. Because they think that Christmas is pagan, yeah. And so that's why I would... See, that's... So, that, see, that's, to me, we got to be careful because it's judgy. It's extremely it's judgy. Point. Yes. Uh, yes, if you want to do it in, in summer, that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong the with right it. Term, it's pharisaical. Pharisaical. But if you're doing that in summer because you're distancing yourself from a pagan day and you look down upon other believers because... In your mind, they're compromising. That's a problem. That's okay, right. that's a problem. I don't think that the the Lord that we're celebrating would approve of that. Right. Especially when Scripture's silent about this issue. Absolutely. Um, so, anyways, that is what I have to say about the date of Christmas. Now, let's look at Daniel eleven, which we have been. That's all he's got to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. That's all yeah. I have to say about that. But in uh, Daniel eleven, verse twenty one, it's talking about the little horn. Yes. And when you study this passage, the little horn is both A, Antiochus Epiphanes, yes. and B, the Antichrist. Yep. How do we know that? Well, when you reach a certain verse, I'm going to show you which verse that is, but when you reach a certain verse, historians agree this doesn't describe Antiochus Epiphanes. It's describing somebody that we're not familiar with. Right. And that's where we end up shifting from past to future. But in verse 21, it says, In his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall be overflown before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably, even unto the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand. For they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief. And they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Then shall he return unto his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter, for the ships of Ketim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice." And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, let's mm -hmm. stop there just for a moment before we move on. This is describing Antiochus, who is the king of the Seleucids. So when 
when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided into four because he had no right. heirs. So yep. four generals. The two generals that are a part of this prophecy are uh, Ptolemy and Seleucus, or rather their descendants. They were dead at this point, but the Ptolemaic dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty. Uh, those are generally located in Syria, is the Seleucid dynasty. Okay. Ptolemy's in Egypt. So the Ptolemies at first had control over Palestine, but eventually they were conquered by the Seleucids. The Seleucids under Antiochus, this guy, were not near as tolerant as the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies let them have their temple. They let them have their worship. They did collect taxes. Mm. So tax collectors originated at that time. The Ptolemies found people among the Jews to collect taxes for them. What year are we talking? Uh, so at this point, we're probably in the third century BC, what I'm okay. talking about now. Uh, but later on, the Seleucids conquered Palestine and uh, they were constantly warring with the Ptolemies in Egypt. So when it says king of the south, it's talking about the king of Egypt. You said third century? Yes, but we're, century we're, we're moving on. Yeah, so, okay, I'm sorry. so I'm just... I'm just you're right. I'm giving a sketch. No, so third century is when the Ptolemies had control over Palestine and whenever they were farming their taxes from the people. Okay. But when you get to this guy Antiochus, now we're second century. Okay. So this is like 160 years before Christ is born roughly. Okay. Okay. So about 160 years before Christ is born, this guy Antiochus who called himself Epiphanes. That means mm. God manifest. Yes. So he believed that he was Zeus incarnate. Mm. He goes into the temple. He sets up this abomination, which is a statue of Zeus. And he sacrifices a pig on the altar, on the bronze altar. And he's forcing the Jews, the priests included, to participate in this same worship. And if they don't, then they'd be executed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he outlaws Judaism. Uh, a lot of people flee into the wilderness because they don't want to participate in this. They don't want to compromise. Some of them clearly did compromise, mm -hmm. as you can see in this text. So he was right. dealing with people um, who were forsaken the Holy Covenant in verse 30. But um, there were a number of people that don't compromise. And this group that became famous was called the Maccabees. Right. And so they were named after Judas Maccabeus. Maccabeus most likely means hammer mm -hmm. in Greek. So he was a great warrior. Okay, uh, you know, a hammer of God. God mm -hmm. used him like he used the judges, Samson and Gideon. And um, Antiochus was defeated. Jerusalem was taken back and the temple was rededicated to God. That's where Hanukkah comes from. Okay. Right. And we'll talk about the, the details of that in just a moment. But look at verse 36. Verse 36 is where we switch. We go future. And the king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers that can't be described that can't describe Antiochus because Antiochus did indeed worship the God of his fathers. He sure. worshiped the Greek gods so it just, just as his fathers. Yep. So we're switching here to some other guy. Okay. He shall not regard the God of his fathers, which I believe that refers to him being a Jewish individual. Yeah. And he's not worshiping the God of his Jewish ancestors, nor the desire of women, which I believe desire of women is a title referring to the Messiah. Some people take that to mean that the Messiah or uh, the Antichrist, the Antichrist could be homosexual. Some people think that so, but you're saying no, I think that the desire of women is a reference to the Messiah uh, in Haggai. And I don't have the reference off the top of my head, but in Haggai, it refers to the Messiah in a similar way. As the desire of the nations is what it says there. The huh. desire of women was Jewish women desired to be the mother of the Messiah. 
And so he shall not regard either the God of his fathers or his son, who is the Messiah, the desire of women. The women of the Jewish people desire to be the mother of the Messiah. Okay. So that's one interpretation. That's mine. I'm not dogmatic about it, but that's what I think. Uh, But it says he should not regard any God for he shall magnify himself above all. So he is going to deify himself, but not just that. He also worships a God. So he both claims he's a God, but worships a God, uh, which is similar to Antiochus. That's why the first one is a type foreshadowing Mm. of the other. Yeah. But in his estate, shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not? Shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things? I think that's referring to his worship of his father, the devil. Satan is worshiped in the tribulation period. Mm. Uh, The worship of the dragon is very clearly described um, in Revelation. So I'd encourage you to look there. Uh, I think Revelation chapter 13 describes that. But it says he shall uh, do in most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. Um, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. So not everybody's going to cooperate with the Antichrist, by the way. Mm. Revelation 17 describes that there are going to be some pushback against him too. Uh, but at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy, and utterly to make away many and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him okay so we will talk about this more when we get to revelation when we mm. begin our verse by verse study of that book uh but right now since we're talking about hanukkah i don't want to get into too much about the end times more of a, a, a broad sketch here but uh daniel 11 describes the spirit of hanukkah past so hanukkah past as the prophet daniel describes is about God delivering his people from the pollution of the Greeks, specifically Antiochus Epiphanes, this Antichrist-like figure, set up a statue of Zeus, polluted the temple, and whenever the Maccabees revolted, God gave them victory, just like he gave the judges victory. Mm -hmm. They went into the temple, and they lit the menorah. Now, they didn't have enough oil to have the menorah lit around the clock. Right. God miraculously caused that oil to last longer than it normally would. Now this miracle, and it, it is certainly a miracle, is similar to other miracles mentioned in the Bible and in tradition. So one, in 1 Kings 17, it talks about the miracle of oil. The widow. Of the widow, yes. Yeah, so Elijah, he approaches this woman. She's poor, and all she's got is a, enough for a little bit of bread and a little bit of oil for her. And I believe it's her son it yeah. says, and that's it. Once they eat that, they're going to die is what she says. Yes. But Elijah says, make me a cake. Don't worry about it. Do as you were going to do. And Pass so, and so he makes, she makes the cake feeds Elijah and the oil does not run out. It lasts until the famine is over. Yes. So that little bit of oil she had lasted that whole time that the famine 
uh, cause the people to suffer in the land. Other widow with the oil with all of her sons bring in all of the containers and pour the oil out, and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Mm. Is that the same chapter? No. I don't think so. Different story. I'm just thinking about it was also oil and a widow, and it didn't run out. It just gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> so, as you can see, we have biblical precedent for miracles like this. Um, in the Talmud, something interesting that I that I read, they believed, and there's no reason to doubt this, that the oil of the western land, that's the the branch that's closest to the, the veil. Okay. So the Holy of Holies facing the veil. That oil lasted longer than all the other lamps. Hmm. So even though that is the only lamp that would be kept lit around the clock, according hmm. to tradition, it was it was the same amount of oil going into that lamp. So it's mm-hmm. going to be burning longer and the other lamps would not burn as long, but they would need more oil or they would need oil before the Western lamp would. Gotcha. So it's just, it's more efficient just in miraculously that oil would burn more efficiently than the others. Uh, also, this is really cool. 40 years before the temple was destroyed. This is when Jesus died on the cross. Um, all of a sudden a miracle stopped and the miracle yeah. um, or the, the miracle that happened really uh, not stopped um, is that they would keep that Western lamp constantly burning. Mm-hmm. They would put the oil in it that was necessary and every single night the lamp would go out and no matter how hard they tried to prevent it, huh. feeding it with all the necessary oil, it would go out every single night Interesting. for 40 years. It would do that. So until years, the temple was destroyed. So Jesus dies. Jesus, okay. Jesus is, is rejected. Yep. And all of a sudden the lamp goes out and no matter how hard they try to keep it on, it keeps going out. It's crazy. So, and there, there are other miracles too. They mentioned that stopped. Um, there was a cord that they tied around the goat named Azazel during yes. the day of atonement. They Put cast him, him off and, the yeah. cliff. The and whenever the scapegoat died, the scarlet cord that they had wrapped around its neck would yes. turn white. Yeah. And so that happened until Jesus died. And when Jesus died, that miracle did not happen for the next 40 years. And so these miracles. It was no longer necessary. Absolutely. But this is interesting. It's mentioned y'all in the Talmud. The Talmud is rabbinic. It's not Christian at all. Right. But they, they mention without any association in their mind with Jesus that these miracles just stopped. 40 years before the mm. temple was destroyed. And there were a couple others there, Mitch, too. Those are the two that come to mind. But they had these miracles that were happening. And they believed that these were signs that God was with them. And he was. So mm-hmm. in the second temple, he told them to rebuild it, didn't he? Whenever right. they returned back from the exile. Exactly, yes. Now, the Shekinah, the, the glory cloud didn't. did not enter the temple. Right. But God still was blessing his people. He had yes. not cast them off. And whenever they rejected Jesus, he was getting their attention. He was showing them. Just as he showed them favor with the miracle of oil during Hanukkah, mm-hmm. he's showing them the opposite now, that yeah. his favor is not with them. And that was for 40 years while the disciples are preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Hopefully, you know, they'd repent, but we know the story. They didn't. They didn't. Giving them something to look back to in the future whenever they go, oh, yeah, that was all that. Absolutely. And Christians are using it. They're mentioning this stuff. They're pointing it out. Um, your own holy sacred tradition the talmud Mm. it mentions here that these miracles stopped the same year that jesus yeshua was killed i mean don't you think that should cause you to ask some big questions right no not really uh but anyway so that that, that you sent 
that they're the oh yeah they, the, they've changed their the well, rabbis some rabbis views. have changed their views yes yes and i think that that of course is just more evidence that we're close to the end yeah, we're amen. close to that time where jacob's trouble will begin and the people will turn back to the lord yeah and I, i'm excited about that i don't understand christians who they believe in that replacement theology and to them it just doesn't matter they don't really care they don't care about the jewish people as a distinct people to me it brings me joy to know that the people that rejected Jesus, he hasn't given up on them and they are going to change their mind. Amen. That excites me. Yeah. I, I'm just sad for the people that the Jews that don't. Yes. Right? The ones that stay in the city. Right. Absolutely. Don't go off. And yeah. Well, all we can do is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray mm. that we're not just talking about it as a political entity or, Right. Uh, you know, national entity. We're praying about the people themselves. But in John chapter 10, now let's talk about the spirit of Hanukkah present. Um, this is a familiar passage to most Christians, I would say. And it's because it contains one of the strongest claims to Jesus's deity. And it is John 10 30. I and the father are one. When did Jesus say this? Well, it tells us in verse 22, John 10, 22. It was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. And it was winter. Uh, oh, Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication. That's what the word means. And Jesus was there during this time. So Jesus, based on this, we can say that he was celebrating Hanukkah. That's why he was at the temple during winter. And he was there at the time celebrating this feast. Um, Hanukkah. And maybe his birthday. And maybe his birthday. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but Hanukkah was... Uh, an exciting time for the Jewish people because they believed that one day the glory cloud would come back into the temple and God would return and them coming into the, the temple and taking it back during the days of Judas Maccabeus was just a foretaste of that. You know, they believed that the menorah was a type of the Shekinah, even though he wasn't visibly present. They believed that as long as that menorah was there, and as long as the light kept shining, it was showing that God invisibly, he was like hovering over the temple. Uh, if you look at the tradition surrounding the second temple, that's how they would describe it. They thought that God rested on the second temple, but didn't enter it. Mm. So he wasn't in it in a visible way like Solomon's temple, but right. he was he was overshadowing it. He was hovering over it. So he was blessing it in some way. So when you went into the temple, you knew that God's presence was there in some sense but not in the same sense that it as Solomon's temple. Right. So it was like their last miracle per se before Christ. Re, yeah. Uh, other, other than these other miracles the that we mentioned. Ones. Yeah. But as far as like big, like people rededicating themselves to God, um, you're right. It is because whenever the Greeks uh, came in and they polluted the temple and it led to a lot of corruption of the people themselves, mm -hmm. you know, worshiping idols, when they revived themselves, when the Maccabees conquered the Greeks and took back the temple, they had a very brief moment where it was like, this is kind of how it was before, you know, where they had victory over their enemies in the past sure. and those great judges and David, the conqueror. And you had a, a short time of revival there. But if you study the history, the Hasmonean dynasty that followed, right. they were very corrupt um, and they made treaties with other nations and they were not faithful to the covenant. Mm. So, it was like a, a very brief on top of the hill moment before they went once again in a spiritual valley. Mm -hmm. So you're right, Christy. It, that's exactly what it was. And so 
Um, sadly, they didn't come back out of the valley when Jesus showed up. And they should have because Haggai 2.7, Malachi 3.1, these are passages that predict that the Messiah will come to the temple, that the presence of God will come to the temple. So they knew that he wasn't there as Solomon's temple. But Haggai 2 and Malachi 3 say that he will come here. So you can expect him. So whenever Judas enters the temple and they light the menorah and that miracle happens, they know that that God's there, but there's still something more that they know that it's not quite right yet. Mm-hmm. Like the, the angel of the covenant that's mentioned in Malachi three, one, that's the angel of the Lord. Yes. The one who was in the glory cloud, Absolutely. he would come to that temple. It mentions that in Malachi three. So mm. when did he come historically in the person of Jesus? Yes. I mean, he stood there and during the festival of dedication in John 10, he says, I and the father are, are one. And he says in verse number, uh, moving down a little bit, uh, let's go down to verse number uh, 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. Mm. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the father hath sanctified and sent into the world. Thou blasphemest because I said, I am the son of God. That's a passage that's very fascinating. It's Psalm someplace. Right? Yes, it's Psalm 82. Right. Um, yeah, Psalm 82, verse 6. So what he's saying here is if if representatives of God are called um uh, gods because Lo- they represent, yes. yeah, they're called yeah. Elohim because they represent Elohim. Okay. If human yes. beings, it says who've received the word, okay, because it says that unto whom the word of God came, recipients. They were called gods. Then how much more am I worthy of the title son of God? Because I was sanctified by the father and sent into the world. So he's not the one to whom the word came. He's the one bringing the word. He's the one from another realm from heaven above that came down. Like you're down here. You're of below. I'm from above. He says that another place. And so here we have Jesus stating in no unclear terms. I mean, as explicitly as possible, I and the father are one, are one and I came down from heaven mm. and I'm delivering you the good news now, but yet you won't accept me. You won't receive me. So this is the spirit of Hanukkah present that the Jewish people are currently rejecting Jesus just as they were at this time. Yeah. So we're in this present age. We're in another spiritual valley yeah. ever since Hanukkah. The first Hanukkah, we're in a spiritual valley and we've been there um, all this time, Mm. but we know that they will repent. Uh, The temple will be rebuilt. It's going to be the millennial temple. The glory cloud will be there. Jesus will be the God man sitting on the throne of God and David. And this will happen when the Jews repent in Matthew 23, 39. He said, I will not come here again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will one day, they will repent and say that. And that's when we'll have another Hanukkah moment. Right. Is that, Except this Hanukkah will be better. Right. Ezekiel's temple. When the, the temple sorry, that is, I'm yeah, sorry. The Ezekiel, when I say Ezekiel's temple, the one no, I'm that I'm asking. Yeah. Is, is that Ezekiel's temple? Yes. Yes, it is. So the, the tribulation temple. Yes. Will be defiled by the Antichrist. Okay. So it's not built right now. Obviously. Yes, obviously. But when it's built, the Antichrist will defile it. But it does say in Zechariah 6.13 yeah. that the Messiah will build the temple himself. Yes, The one that's described in Ezekiel, yes. he will build it. That's so that, that means one. the tribulation temple is destroyed. Now when? Probably in an earthquake. The millennial 
temple, right? Yes, the millennial temple is the one that he builds. So the Jewish people will build the tribulation temple. Yep. The Antichrist defiles that, just like Antiochus did. And Christ, when he comes back, like Judas Maccabeus, but so much greater, infinitely greater. Yes. He will rededicate the Jewish people back to proper worship by building a new one. I think that the temple that the Antichrist defiles will probably be destroyed in an earthquake. There's some big earthquakes mm. during the tribulation. The whole topography I of mean, Jerusalem will be changed. Gets flattened. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it even says that when Christ sets foot on the Mount of Olives, yes. it splits in two. So it's probably the case that the temple will be destroyed. Yes. Whenever Christ sets foot on the Mount of Olives. So God made Gog. God shows up. Everybody says, everybody says oh, Ooh, let's build a temple. Let's build a temple. And Muslims go, say, okay, yes, okay, because. Yes. Right. And then they build it. And then raptures in there someplace. <laughs> it gets destroyed because the bad guy comes in and then Jesus comes back. And he builds a new one. Kicks his butt. M millennial. Millennium. And then we're off. Scott. I got it, man. You stated it very well. <laughs> Everybody hear that? <laughs> Go back and rewind that. It's like, yeah. yeah I, it. I like Kick. the kicks his butt part too. Kicks you know? his butt. Yeah. Jesus is going to give us the victory. Yeah. And that brings us to Daniel 7, last passage. And mm. this is the spirit of Hanukkah future. And this is what I'm so excited about when I celebrate Christmas every year. I'm so thankful that Jesus came and he was born a baby in a manger lowly. Uh, he came and he suffered and he died for me. I'm thankful that he came and took that form of a servant. But at the same time, y'all, I am so very much looking forward to his victory as king. Amen. And I, I want to see Jesus as the lion. Now he's come as the lamb. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Amen. But come as the lion mm -hmm. because I'm done with the corruption. Because that's what I'm done with the lies. I want you to bring in truth and righteousness. Right. And that's what the Jews wanted. That's why they didn't think he was because they were confused because they wanted the lion. They didn't know he was going to be the right. lion That's right. But first. see, we, we can, from our perspective, our, as new covenant we believers, can, yeah, absolutely. we can say, look, Jesus setting up his kingdom is the ultimate hope. Yes. But you have to have citizens in that kingdom if yes. it's going to be worth something. Amen. And he can't bring anybody in the kingdom unless they are purified and they can't be purified unless his blood is shed. So, you know, people talk all the time to Jews about, we want the kingdom to come, but do you want to be in the kingdom? Mm. Do you want to be there? Because the kingdom being here on earth without you being in it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. You, you need Jesus to first come and take care of your sin problem. That's right. But in Daniel chapter seven, um, in verse number, let's see, uh, let's go on. Okay. Had these verses out nine, verse number nine, okay. seven, nine. Daniel said, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head, like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands of thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set. The books were opened. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words, which the horn spake. That's the antichrist. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame as concerning the rest of the beast. They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged. For a season in a time I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. 
and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. That is the spirit of Hanukkah future. Amen. Jesus comes back, fiery in his chariot wheels, Antichrist is judged, kingdom is brought in, dominion, glory, and power, and we, who are part of his family, we are who are his, his children, his body, his bride, we will be reigning with him. So that is when Tabernacles finds its ultimate fulfillment. Uh, I failed to mention, but it's important, Hanukkah was seen as a second Tabernacles. Hmm. The reason it was seen as that is because when they were running from Antiochus in the wilderness, fleeing persecution, they couldn't celebrate they Tabernacles. In- right. Uh, what's that, Christine? Did they live in tents? What, during the wintertime? When they were fleeing? When they were, oh, I suppose that they probably had to dwell in something akin to a tent when they were in the wilderness, sure, yeah. Or caves, something like that, like David, maybe. Uh, but whenever they were fleeing and on the run, they couldn't take eight days to celebrate. And it was a time of celebration. Um, unlike Yom Kippur, which is a solemn time, mm-hmm. a time of fasting and repentance, Tabernacles is a time of joy. Okay, It's that one festival that you definitely want to be a part of. Um, judgment is not a thought for Tabernacles. It's after judgment, being with God, being his people, and enjoying all the blessings of his presence. And so when they came back and they took the temple, they celebrated tabernacles then. I don't know, and I couldn't find any information to support the idea that they dwelt in tents at that time. It's really cold, so Mm. maybe they didn't stay out in tents. Uh, But they did celebrate tabernacles in other ways. There Mm -hmm. are other practices that they did at the time. So historians believe that Hanukkah originally, as they understood it, was simply tabernacles but belated. They weren't able to Mm. do it before, so they're doing it now. And so we have second tabernacles. And I think that uh, that gives us a good picture of a number of things. Just as Jesus tabernacled among us 2,000 years ago, he will tabernacle among us again. Amen. And uh, I think that Hanukkah is a good reminder of that. Um, When I think of Hanukkah, I think of the birth of Christ because of, you know, how close they are on the calendar. And the birth of Christ is about Jesus being born lowly. Uh, We recognize him as the king, right? Mm -hmm. But he was invisible to the world, y'all. From their perspective, he was just a a lowly baby in a manger. And even after that, they thought... The lowest of the low. The lowest of the low, absolutely. And um, I think that Hanukkah is a reminder of God's presence in the temple, but in an invisible way that that falls short of what you want. Right. You know, the menorah was there. It was lit. It was like, God's here. He's pleased. He's pleased with us, but he wasn't there personally. You know, he, he wasn't standing in their presence, whether in flesh, like with Christ. Right. Or in a pillar of fire. Uh, there was something more that they were waiting on. And, and that's what we're waiting on too. Ain't it? Amen. And so there you have it guys. That's Hanukkah. There's, uh, the spirits of Hanukkah past, present and future. And hopefully you got something out of that. And we pray that you will have a happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Everyone.